Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be enlightening. It's very rarely frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel Series, an informal chat about writing, television, and the business of writing tele- television. Each and every panel benefits 826LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information, visit 826LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, a stage program in the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes. I'm also currently a writer on CW series Supernatural. What? Who's, who are my supernatural people? Are you here? Don't wave. Clap. <laughs> Clap your hands. That way you'll be heard on the podcast. Now, everyone listening to this podcast is like, no one. <laughs> that guy is just yelling into the wind. <laughs> All right, we have some awesome writers today. Let's get right to it. I hope they can hear me. Our first panelist has an extensive background in playwriting, uh, including being the playwright-in-residence at the Royal National Theatre in London. Her television credits include Dead Like Me, Friday Night Lights, and Parenthood. Please welcome Bridget Carpenter. My pregnant stomach just knocked over all the mics. It's like... Trashing the place coming through here. Thanks for being here, Bridget. Sure. All right, next up. One of the reviews on iTunes said we spend too much time on introductions, so I'm flying through them. (laughs) Our next panelist. Her early credits include episodes of uh, sitcoms like Growing Pains, New Heart, and The Wonder Years, as well as a number of episodes of Moonlighting. She's also credited on the screenplays for Mr. Wrong and Inspector Gadget. Most recently, she's written for Boston Public, Friday Night Lights, and Parenthood. Please welcome Carrie Aaron. Welcome, Carrie. Hello. Hi. Finally. Our third panelist has a background in screenwriting, both through work and independent features, which I hope he will tell us a little bit about. Um, And as a USC graduate uh, from their graduate program, his television work includes the first three seasons of Breaking Bad, as well as HBO's TV movie Too Big to Fail, which earned 11 Emmy nominations this year, including Best Miniseries Movie or Dramatic Special, Best Director, and Best Writer for Peter Gould. Hi, Peter. Thanks for being here. Awesome. We've got a hot crowd tonight. Okay. It's not, they're not usually like this. This is a particularly great crowd. <laughs> See? Uh, let's start. This is, the last, this is the first and last thing I'm going to ask. Then it's all on you. That's going to be really bad. <laughs> it's all on you. Good I'm not, luck with that. I'm not much of a talker. <laughs> you, you're perfect for a panel, then. <laughs> okay. I'm so glad you're here. How am I doing with the mic? <laughs> a little closer okay. to you. Thank you. Um, let's talk about breaking into the business. And um, 
Let's, uh, Bridget, let's start with you. Uh, tell us how you came to be a television writer, because you have this, you've written dozens and dozens of plays, is that right? Um, let's say hundreds. Yes, <laughs> thousands yeah. of plays. Let's I'm not hyperbolize, but, Canada. Uh, but tell us um, how you came to, <laughs> how you came to be where you are today. Uh, I, I, I was a playwright solely until I was 30, <laughs> and then, um, and so I was on my merry playwriting way, and then I went, I haven't had health insurance for ages. <laughs> and um, I was kind of tired of, um, I, was, I had traveled around for you know, five or six years kind of chasing grants and chasing productions, and, and uh, I was sort of an itinerant uh, playwright. And I, I thought, well, I'd like to be one place for a while. And I'd grown up here, but I hadn't lived here for about um, 10 years. So I moved back when I was about 30, so from 20 to 30, I didn't live here, and then I moved back, and I had an agent, and I said, you know, maybe I'll start, I, and I'd, I'd, uh, I'd heard about, I, I didn't know any television writers, and I liked television, but I didn't know anything really about it. Well, and, let me stop you right yes. there, because I have two questions. Okay. Um, you had an agent through your playwriting? Yes. Okay. Yes. And it was, it was, what kind of a literary agent was this? Did he, he or she also deal in television? She did not, actually. She was. Um, she has sadly passed on. She was kind of a legendary. I, now, welcome to the rest of your evening, because I would like nothing more but to talk about dear departed <laughs> Helen Merrill, my German playwright agent, who was so fantastic, and she was really legendary, and she changed smoked unfiltered cigarettes and she wore heads and a fur and um, and her offices were always like blue with smoke and I, I just adored her and she lived in the um, 60s with Anthony Perkins for a time so she had all these awesome stories and oh, she is my agent I loved her so much and she um, and she died of cancer but she and so she was like sure do television it's good that's fine you know and she would have everything she said had the weight of authority because of her Teutonic background and um, so no she did not do it so so I was um, kind of left high as she so I was solely with her and she was just my theater agent for years and years and her um, her assistant who now runs the theater department at um, ICM had loftier ambitions and he when he um, he said, oh, sure, sure, maybe, you know, we'll help you find an agent, but he didn't help me find an agent. And um, so I just kind of um, hoofed it around and uh, and found, and asked around until somebody said, I know someone who, William Morris who read your play and who liked it. And I was like, I'll call him. That sounds great. I love him already. <laughs> and so I called him, and he loved my play. And here's the, uh, just the way... To get really anything you want in your in your life, because not on my end, on from his, because really he was such a he had me at hello. He I called him up and I said hi, my name's Bridget Carpenter, and my friend Christy Brown said that you read one of my plays, and um, he said, well, I certainly hope you're calling me to be my your agent, and I was like, okay, <laughs> and that was my first agent. <laughs> um, so he was great, and so. Um, that's how I got an agent. So you were interested then in making that transition to TV, or at least you were flirting with it. Yes. Uh, what were yes. you watching on TV that had you saying, either I can do this or this seems like fun? I was very ill-informed about television. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely. And 
I can't tell you anything any because because I know that we're like in a golden age of television. I'm a part of the golden age of television, <laughs> and at the time I um, did not know that much, and so I would ask people what they were. Well, I stole. I just stole answers, and I so somebody would go, you know, what do you like? And I was like, oh, you know, Cheers was great, and I'm not kidding. I did say that more than once, and people would kind of laugh like you guys, like, oh, she's so funny. She says retro things, and um, <laughs> that yeah. was when I knew. I, here's what I knew about. Here's why I picked television over film because I love both film and movies um, I knew that TV writers got to be in charge that was one thing that I knew and in playwriting you're in charge and I like that part and in TV or in a film I understood and features, really and features it was like you're, it was like you're selling a car it was you're, like you're we're, we're going to paint your car orange yeah. what do you have to say about it and so I didn't like that idea so I thought oh well TV is the way to I knew that the yeah, the, the chain of command usually worked unusually towards Furt and Writer's favor. So that was, it was more a lifestyle that I craved. <laughs> and so was this agent able to help you get either your first uh, freelance episode or staffed on your first thing? Um, that agent actually happened to be a film agent. I never made him a dime, the nicest man in the whole world. Um, he introduced me to now my current agent, which is I've been with for 10 years through two agencies. So we, she, we made a, he made a really lovely introduction, and it did I'm – I'm trying to think of how long it took. She did get me my first job, which happened to be on Dead Like Me. Okay. So long and- answers. No, that's great. And we'll, we'll get back to sort of what that involved, making that transition. But sure. uh, let's move on. Yeah. Carrie, tell us about your background, where you came from, what got you excited about television uh, or well, film for that matter. Really. <laughs> um, Perfect. I, <laughs> Still waiting I, for the excitement. I, I was sort of the classic pinball. I, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And, I, and I, um, I was always good at writing. I think I got a lot of good grades for that and for not studying. Um, but I was dating in high school the son of a writer. I I, I know it's it's it's. it's I'm Classic sorry. I wish I had story. a better story. I don't. That's my story. He read he read something I'd written for college, and he uh, said you should try writing. And so I wrote a script, and he helped me. What was that script, and how did you even know Golly, how to do it? I don't it? remember anymore. I, <laughs> I just read scripts and copy. You know, it's mm-hmm. like basically you just copy the structure and fill it in. <laughs> Writing is easy, everyone. <laughs> Find a script you like, copy the structure, and fill it in. And date a writer's here? son. Right. <laughs> Dating a writer's son is good. Although, although I was innocent when I met him, I was fifteen. <laughs> Uh, and when did this thing get written that he uh, oh, it was, uh, inspired it you to write? It was like when I was around 22. Okay. Yeah. And then what happened? I mean, we're, you, we were together a while. You yeah. you didn't just write this thing and then say, "Here, read this." It, it clearly you uh, you started you know, to feel I something for, for this. A couple, oh no, I, I always felt something for writing. I always connected to it. I always um, I was I'm a, I consider myself really kind of a character writer because I just love people. I find them fascinating and. And that, to me, is what writing is, you know? So um, that was just another facet of that, you know? Uh, so how did you gain entry into the business? Um, he helped me get an agent. <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> Can we bring him here and introduce him to all these people? Well, well he's really... He's, he's a lot older now, but his, he's Richard Matheson. He's a science fiction writer. He's a, he's wow. a lovely, lovely man. Wow. No, he is. Yeah. He's, he's like an... Un- really you can name drop here. Really you don't have to be coy. Well, I figured at this particular 
store, Absolutely. his name might yeah. you know, really mean something. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a very You're a star. <laughs> <laughs> so he helped you get an agent. He and does. clearly the, your work had quality because... I believe it did. It, uh, <laughs> even if you Although had the I agent. I sometimes doubt it. But yes, in general. We'll get to that later. Yes. Um, and what was the first thing that you wrote for pay? Uh, I think... You should have done a little research before coming here. <laughs> I'm like a I'm like hundred. I don't remember this stuff. I have three children, you know, you forget things. Um, I think it was a Jetsons episode. <laughs> I think it was. What do you, what do you recall about Jetsons? that? Was it a primetime Jetsons show? Yeah, the, I don't know. They were remaking a bunch of... I'm not a very good business person. You may have noticed this. <laughs> not yet. They were, they were making uh, some new Jetsons episodes. And, mm-hmm. and back so, when I started, which was 100 years ago... They, there were more freelance assignments available. So when you were starting out as a writer, you would go into shows who said, okay, we have three or four freelance assignments, and you would go in and pitch stories. So it was a way to kind of get your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm gonna, we're going to talk a little more about those freelance uh, episodes. So gather your thoughts on that. Collect your memories. Can you um, ask me about something in the, in the last 10 years? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> We'll get to that, but I want to hear about those freelance things because uh, I want to see how it measures up to my experience in freelance. Okay. Uh, Peter, tell us about your entry, entree into the business and um, where you come from. Did you watch television as a youth? Were you a movie guy? Yeah, you know, I, I, I broke in maybe three or four times and it never stuck, <laughs> you know, which is actually, you know, it's nice. one of the, the truth. The truth is that, that yeah. the first job is one thing, but getting making a career is, is something else. I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't have any interest in television whatsoever. I wanted to make movies. You know, I, I, I liked, you know, Robert Altman, Orson Welles, uh, the Coen brothers. You know, that's, that's, that's really, that was my, that's, you know, that's, I'm, I think I'm still, you know, guided by those sets of interests. And I was very interested in production. I, I was a kid who, I couldn't spell at all, so I was I was very nervous about writing, and I found writing. So I ended up going um, to USC Film School, and uh, it was one of the formative experiences of my life. I had a, a wonderful time. I really I love every aspect of filmmaking. I can honestly say, you know, editing, camera, sound, the whole thing. I was just loved it. And uh, but there was this writing thing you had to, in order to get to do the other stuff. You had to have a good story. And what I found was that none of the other stuff really made any sense without the story. And so I, oh, I have to do a story. So, and, and that was, that was really, it was really as, as uh, originally to have something to direct that I wrote. So I wrote, I wrote a lot of, uh, a lot of spec screenplays and, uh, I was at, uh, USC in an era when, uh, there was a lot of interest in student filmmakers. Uh, there was, I don't know if that's... It's not quite the same now. And also, you can, you can do things that look very professional now, and the, the, the barriers to entry are much lower, I think, in terms of getting a, a finished piece of work. At that time, it was, it, was, it was a little bit more challenging. And I made a student film. This is a long time ago. And it, I was Flavor of the Month. And have you ever seen The Big Picture? <laughs> have you ever seen that movie? Yeah, yeah. That was more or less... It's pretty accurate, you know, and and so I made a film, and every, Let's, can we talk about that film sure, for a second? Sure, I did read up a little sure, bit about absolutely. it. So tell them what that film was about and where I, it came from. I made a film. A lot of it was in reaction to to what was going on in student films at the time, where things were very naturalistic. There were a lot of movies about, you know, there'd be the there'd be the father and the son. They'd be working on the farm, <laughs> and then. 
and they wouldn't talk to each other, and then they, and, and it would be beautiful, you know, there's a lot of influence, you know, Caleb Deschanel, and you know, it was gorgeous, and they wouldn't say much, and they'd, yep, sure, a lot of Paris, Texas stuff, and then in the last five minutes of the movie, the dad would get his leg chopped up by a combine, and they'd have a reconciliation scene, and I thought, I, I was more interested in and I really liked like Louis Buñuel, mm-hmm. and I really liked like uh, Scorsese, and uh, so I decided to do a movie. Uh, I wanted to do something where you were inside somebody's head a little bit, where the audience sort of shared a secret with the character. So I, I came up with this idea, very much influenced on the conceptual level by Buñuel, about this character who's got a a, a foot fetish. And uh, he, he, he hates himself for it. He's, you know, repressed, repressing it. And uh, he works in a department store training program. This is all somewhat stylized. Um, he works in department stores in a training program, and he gets assigned to the women's uh, uh, foot shoe department. <laughs> and uh, he turns out to be really good at the job. Uh, and, and, so, and so what I realized, what, by working on the, this film, I found a way to, which is the secret of the 20-minute film. I'll, I'll do I'll, describe it to you is that you get the exposition done in the first two minutes or 90 seconds if you can because then you have a second act that you can really play out and this is what you usually find with 20 minutes is really bad length for film it's what we had to do at USC at the time uh, what you what you found because a better length is like eight or ten yeah. minutes because you can do one great sequence and it doesn't really have to have anything more than one yeah. great sequence. But twenty minutes, you're sort of I'm an expert on this. Uh, <laughs> twenty minutes, you're kind of stuck with telling like a mini feature, yeah. and, uh, and and and, it's, and, and you're, you're you know it's, it's like like all writing. Uh, screen dramatic writing, it's a lot of structure involved. So, How, um, how yeah. were you able to condense that? And I know this is, you know, we're sure. going back to the very beginning of your career, but how were you able to condense that exposition to two minutes? I just did a, uh, I did a, a voiceover and a montage. And he talked, he talked <laughs> to the audience and he said, this is, I've got, I, he said right off the bat, I've got a secret. <laughs> Women's feet are beautiful and you're seeing the feet. Da, 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 da. And, you know, there's music and it's fun. And it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, that, that, that movie got, you know, all of a sudden, I got all the big picture meetings, and I got, I, you know, we had a screening at the, uh, screening at the academy, and I came home, and there was, it, you know, it's it's what you're all dreaming about, you know. I came home, and it was 154. I didn't know my machine could take this many messages, and I was meeting every, you know, almost every agency in town, and and uh, a lot of producers, a lot of people who I really, whose name I recognize, and I, the problem was. I didn't have the writing chops to really follow up. I think that was part of the problem. The other problem is that flavor of the month means the month, you know. So that's it goes by very. That month goes by very quickly. So it's ultimately it ended up being I got representation, but not a lot more out of it. And I turned down a lot of things, which I think was. Now I'm yeah that was probably a good decision. You know there were probably times in between when I I thought well, yeah I should have really gone after. Uh, that that uh, Teen Wolf two mm-hmm. movie, or whatever, whatever. Can, whatever yeah, can it you was. Ta- can you talk about some of those, either the ones you turned down or what some of those meetings were like? Because that's uh, these people are bound well, to go through that. You know, stuff. the thing there's a there's a cliche about Hollywood, which is you can be yes to death because everybody uh, wants to have a wonderful meeting, and they you know especially when you're you're new, 
they're very excited to meet you and be able to tell their boss that they met you. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of shoe leather. You know, there's a lot of uh, ah, that's great. I love your work. Oh, it's, well, it's, it's, again, it's the big picture. Uh, Martin Short says, "I'm very impressed by. I haven't seen any of your work, but I'm very impressed by you." <laughs> and you know, so there's, there's there's a lot of that. And I kind of fit potentially. I fit into a slot, which is enough, which is something that's very important in the business. I sort of fit into a slot at the time, which was. He's going to make comedies, um, very fun, you know, funny, lightweight, you know, visually visual comedies, uh, and so that, that would you know there are a lot of you know there's a lot of nice meals, uh, you know you can also judge you know the agents will bring they will bring a pack, you know so there'll be like you know eight people. And I felt completely unprepared for it. I was underdressed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was underdressed, uh, overweight, uh, had poor social skills, and uh, you know, and it, it was it was just it was it was not it was not ultimately that pleasant because it felt it felt it just it felt strange. Uh, and it ultimately, I was right that it felt strange because ultimately, uh, meetings by themselves are make work. I'll be I'll be honest with you. Most you, mean, you can say it can be very. In fact, having an agent, you know, it's, it seems like this huge hurdle. Mm. Having an agent, and I, I know, boy, when I was at film school, it's every, he's got an agent, he's got a publicist. Yeah. Oh boy! But you know, you can have the best. Oh, I shouldn't say this. You can have the best agent at CAA. You know, the <laughs> hottest. You can have the hottest lawyer and the hottest agent, and you could be taking meetings at. Amblin or wherever else, and it can add up to be absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. Or you can have no agent whatsoever, and have a really good friend mm. who 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 wants to produce a movie and really cares about it and is willing to champion it, and you can get that movie made. So it's it's really I think that there's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of just dog paddling going on in the business. I shouldn't say. No, I, can I just add one thing? Is my definition of a good agent is somebody who doesn't get me to meetings. <laughs> like, yeah. Make it happen without me there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's. I, I want to just continue on for one more second. Uh, we can skip over the middle part a little bit because uh, we'll come back to it. But tell us how you wound up where you are now. Um, well, I, I the short Emmy nominated. The, oh, that part. Yeah. Uh, the, the, well, both of those. Parts. The short. The short version. The short version is that uh, my wife who's here, uh, got, left her job in, in development. And so we had no, and I was teaching at USC, so I was making no money. And, uh, I had been trying to break in, you know, with, I had directed a little movie and other stuff. And, uh, I said, you know, I have to make a living. This is ridiculous. I have to make a real living. I can't live like a student anymore. I, you know, and so I came up with this elaborate three-pronged plan, which I won't bore you with. But one of the things uh, I did bore us a little bit. Well, I was. I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll I'll make a spec TV commercial. I'll I'll do television pitches, and I'll write a spe another spec script, like spec script five thousand. So you were, you were looking to sell yourself both as a writer and a director yes. at this point. Yes. Okay. And uh, so I wrote, and out of all that. Uh, I did work in all those directions to some extent, mm -hmm. but I also really got passionate about Spec Script 5000, uh, which was unlike anything else I had ever written. It was an original spec? It was an original spec based on a... It was the first time I had ever... I'd always tried to write things that fit... Yeah, we're going... I'm, not, this is not the short version. I'd always tried to write things that fit what I thought would sell because I wanted to make money and have a living. And instead, this time, I just wrote something that was... I was felt bizarrely compelled to write, and uh, and that script. I said, and I said to my agent, "This 
and I had an agent based on the little feature that I had directed, which got me nowhere. Uh, and, I, and I said, you know, this is going to end up on cable TV anyway. You know, everything small ends up on cable TV. Can we just go straight? Let's skip the, <laughs> skip the part where we try to raise money and I meet actors and all that. Let's just go straight to cable. And we did, and nobody made it. But I, because it was based, it had a, it had a, a somewhat eccentric voice and, uh, it hasn't gotten made yet. I think it should be. Uh, it has a somewhat eccentric voice, and it was based on a true story. Suddenly, there was there used to be ten years ago this thing called a TV movie, uh, and and uh, and so suddenly I got work for uh, the bi- the big one for me. The big break was working for HBO, and I got I, I wrote something for HBO that everybody loved, and I loved, and was just it's it's a it's a spectacularly good script. That never got made. Uh, so, so, but that 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 kept and me. That was working. a that was a TV movie. That was a, a that was a one. It was a two hour movie. Yeah. Okay. And so that was that that was really what got the ball rolling. That was that time. And then finally, partially because I was so desperate, because you know I had, you know, some of you have kids. Maybe some of you, some of you, but you you have this especially as as, as a. As a dad, you want to provide something, you know. And you know, we'd be going to we'd be going to friends, and they'd have a house with a piano and a separate room for the kid. And we were living in a one bedroom apartment. And you know, it was just it was it was just. And I really I wanted I wanted to make something. I wanted to make a life for my family. And that sort of took the pressure off me creatively because it, yeah. in a weird way, I stopped trying to be Orson Welles. Joel Cohen, whatever, and I just said, you know, th- I'm going to do the best I can right now with what's in front of me, and that really, that really helped a lot. And that got the ball rolling after the Absolutely. HBO then, thing, yeah. and that's what got. I you, haven't uh, stopped working since. Oh, and then, great. and then, uh, based on that, I wrote a lot for HBO. HBO. I basically worked for HBO since 2000, almost mm-hmm. continuously. I've written m- many, many movies and many, a couple of miniseries and a pilot, none of which got produced. Mm-hmm. So. I got a car, cars, and a house, and nothing produced. And I was I was somewhat frustrated because I, you know, you want to get produced. So uh, I I said, you know, gee, I really think maybe there's some really good TV on now. And uh, unfortunately, my agents, one one of my two agents at the time, uh, said they're both feature people. uh, Happened to know uh, uh, Mark Johnson. Who is the uh, one of the executive producers on Breaking Bad? Just as they were staffing up, and that was that was how I got on Breaking Bad. And what, my, was my it first, a, my it, first TV series? And you had done some pilots for HBO too, yeah. right? So yeah. it was a fairly easy transition for you going from one to the other. Besides the learning someone else's voice and all that, no, which we'll a, get it into. Was, it, was a, it was a huge, huge, huge. How can I say it? bigger? Huge. <laughs> it was a big transition. It was okay. a large transition. All right, we'll we get to talk that about in a minute. We'll give you a break. Thanks. Uh, have some coffee. Uh, Bridget, let's talk about that transition for you. Okay. Um, because you went from playwriting yeah. and sort of creating your own thing and sort of being the boss of your own thing. I mean, yeah. the, the writer in yeah. the, the world so of theater is... <laughs> Tell us about going from that to Dead Like Me and, and um, how you uh, adjusted. Dead Like Me was a little unusual. It was really unusual um, because... Are you guys familiar with Dead Like Me, by the way? It was, was a Showtime it was two, Yeah, show? it was two, two years yeah. Showtime. Yeah, it was a great show. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> we love all of you. <laughs> um, I, was, uh, I was hired. It was really unusual. I was hired. I found the, script, the pilot script um, very charming. 
And then they, um, the first go round, I, uh, you know, liked everybody, but they didn't, they didn't hire me. And then what happened was, I never knew the, I never got the real straight answer on this, but um, the, um, the net, the uh, the Cape Showtime fired everybody, every single person, including the creator. And then they. At what in, point was this? The fir- after the was, first season? It, no, the first no, it was about episode. it was about six episodes in. Okay. Oh. Um, so That's it was ha- it was pretty incredible, and so. Um, I remember I got a call from my agent. They said, oh, the, these producers want to meet you on Dead Like Me. And I said, I met with them. Don't you remember that? That show's been going on. She was like, nope, you haven't met with these guys. And so they had hired these two new executive producers who had come in to kind of rescue the rest of the season. And everybody had been gutted. And um, those two producers hired me. So that was it. It was me and these two. And there, there was one consulting producer. So they did not have a room. It was like, it was... Um, it was kind of a fantastic trial by fire. So I was sort of game. You know, I was like, oh, what's going to happen? You know, and um, I went in, and the first day they handed me a script, and they said, um, this is a page one rewrite. And I was like, that sounds bad. <laughs> what? And they how about went, that? yeah, it was like, how about that? And, I, and they said, um, you know, can you rewrite it? And I said, sure. And we kind of talked through, and they went, well, we need it tomorrow. And I said, okay. <laughs> and then I went home and I wrote a script in a day and then they shot it the next day. <laughs> so, um, I, and I don't, I think I really feel for the writer, whoever, because, you know, I didn't get credit and that writer must have been like, what the hell happened? And so, um, while I was real, so, and then it kind of, um, the rest of the season was a little bit went from there. It was yeah. like, fix this, do this, do this really quickly. And I could tell the guys that I worked for um, did not want to school me. They had hired me, and it was great, and I will always be grateful for that break. But they didn't want to sit around and go, this is how it's done. Mm-hmm. So I made I, – and I was um, – you know, every day pretending not to be freaked out because I didn't know anything and there was nobody telling me anything. So I just was like, I'm going to act like I know what I'm doing until somebody tells me not to do that. So I pretended for that entire season and I was like, I think it should be this way. And then it would be done. I was like, how? I did it. Um, and that was my first season of television. And then Dead Like Me got picked up and... Um, and I got them to hire a two other playwright friend of mine. <laughs> um, so we had a really um, nice second season. And so then we had like a kind of little room. But again, it was still, uh, it, was, it was an unusual situation. Yeah, so that, so was my, that was my transition. And then, and then, you know, we can talk about, like I, mm-hmm. I worked on one other show that was on for a blink of an eye. And then I got Friday Night Lights. So I don't have that um, very I'm, I, I'm actually curious yeah. a little more about sure. uh, Dead Like Me because... Yeah, yeah. Uh, these people, these producers who were running it after six episodes, had sort of inherited this show that yes. wasn't theirs. Yes. Um, for the rest of that season, were they working off of existing scripts? Were they giving you things no. to rewrite? Or they so they were making it up? Yes. For the we, rest we, of the season, we made it. We, okay. we, made, we made it up. And then for the next season, when you were able to bring in a few yes. more writers, yeah. uh, What was the process like for breaking stories? Um, Since there wasn't really a room, there wasn't really room. It was sort of. Uh, it was, I don't really know how to describe it. We did have, we would, we would meet, we had offices and the producers had a really, um, one producer had a really extremely wonderful set of like kind of editing skills and, and finishing skills. But he, I think he was kind of over the writing process himself. He was a little like shruggy about it, but he really was good at 
at editing a show. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then the, the other producer um, responded really well to ideas. So, so I just, it was like throwing a lot out there. And they, and there was a very, um, I think Showtime was going, there was a new, oh, Bob Greenblatt was the new um, president of oh. Showtime. And funnily enough, now he's the new president of NBC. It's so funny. So he was the oh, new president. Yeah, I know, it was so strange, exactly. We really love each other. Um, but uh, uh, so there was a new president. So there was a shifting at the network, which I didn't realize at the time how important that was. I just thought, oh, we'll just do our little show and you know, hopefully yeah. it turns out good. And now I know how important that is. And so there was a very loose quality to... Um, Two breaking story. It was like throw out a paragraph about what you think the episode is about. Talk about a couple high points. Go off and write it. Wow. So, so mm-hmm. I, I had. That's I, really unusual. It was very unusual. It was very unusual. There was not a lot of a tremendous amount of oversight. Yeah. There was not a ton of noting that I remember, but I, you know, again, I was I was a little lower on the totem pole, so there might have been more notes than um, I realized, and. Um, it was a show where it was a situation just to kind of close out the dead like me, which where I, I had probably more influence than I should have, <laughs> at, considering my experience. Um, that that's what happened. You, you know, though that that, that, that I, you know, I, I think that's emblematic of something I've I've noticed, which is that a lot of the time uh, passion counts. If somebody has a passionate yes. point of view, it doesn't matter what their title is. No, that, you know, that yeah. That, so I think, you know, the fact that you brought in such a strong point of view, that gives you, that gives you a certain kind of authority. And I care, I actually, to that's... To a point. To a point. <laughs> to a point. No, that's actually really, that's really true. That's doesn't go over. That, no, <laughs> that's right. Tries, that's right, yeah. Let or, it go. Or two. <laughs> right, sorry. No, that's true. And I will say, too, that I, the thing that I have to, the memories that I take away from Dead Like Me is I always felt like, um, our how do you wait? What's the way you said? Your our, our reach exceeded our grasp. How do you say your reach? We I always wanted to reach farther yeah. than we did. Yeah. I because I really thought that the kind of core idea to Dead Like Me, which was like a girl who dies and then has to reap souls, but has to is, is like kind of watches her family. So I was like, oh, this girl's never going to grow up. But because of how television works. We will see her grow and change, but she will never change. I found that so moving, and I just wanted to keep getting inside it. And I really loved all these aspects of that idea, and I thought that we fell short quite frequently, but I always liked wrestling with it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I think. And I, so I would go, well, what if, you know, what happened? You know what, if this guy's been a reaper for a really long time, maybe he's going to have to... Um, you know, see his daughter, and she's going to be eighty, and she's going to look uh-huh. like his great grandmother. But it'll be his daughter because he's been doing anyway. I would get really into things like that. Um, and that, I think that's an important thing, especially on these early jobs where you don't, you know, you had a lot more say than maybe you should have at your yes, level. But certainly. you know, I, even I idea, even when you don't, it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And everyone in the room is always relieved to hear it. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like no matter who it's from, yes. it's mm-hmm. like when it's wow, good. that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, were you? I uh, just one more follow up sure. question on that because of the sort of autonomy that you had in, in working on the show, were you empowered on the next show that you had? Maybe blindly so, but um, or was it intimidating going to the next gig? It was not intimidating. That's a really good question. No, I was not empowered because... But I had um, uh, different... I had different goals mm-hmm. because I thought that Dead Like Me was really creatively um, marvelous. Um, and uh, the the producers were hard to work with. 
And so I went into my next show actually experienced deliberately saying, I don't care what this show's about. I want to work with nice people. And I said that to my agent. And did you get that? I did. What was the next show? The next show, oh God, it was called... um, Head case, thank you. I it's called head cases. Yes, that's right. We've been in the same room for years. No, I'll be like, "What boyfriend is that?" Well, that's good. Uh, <laughs> she'll be like Steve. So, um, Karen's gonna need you in a minute. Right. So <laughs> I got it. I got her covered. Um, yeah. No, that next one was head cases. And while that show, God bless you, Bill Chase. I adore you, but that show was not good. And it was on for one minute. <laughs> It was the nicest, smartest group of people I have, other than the ones that I'm presently with, uh, I've ever, up until that point, I'd ever been in a room with. I thought it was, it was actually a marvelous lesson in television because these people were smart, they were kind, everybody's hardworking, no one was above the material, and the show stunk. And we tried really hard not to make it stink. Why did the show stink? What happened? I don't know. There, there was, was literally some. There's, there's an extra. There's some yeah. alchemy missing. Nobody was going into their offices and going, "Oh, can you believe this show?" <laughs> Everyone was like, "What if it's that?" You know, it was a show that was essentially odd couple lawyers. That's it. That's it. There's nothing at the end of the day. And this show just, um, I couldn't. Think, I went, man. We have really clever, thoughtful, kind people. And it failed. And so that was actually. I went away and I was like, that can happen to anybody. Nobody sabotaged it nobody except no. for maybe the network itself I think the network stopped caring but I it just turned out crummy so I was like I have to say good people can do bad work it's possible I have yeah. done it mm-hmm. I will do it again really good that's a threat sometimes that's right watch out so so I so uh, it, but then that was a real room that was like a real kind of a very traditional room there were 10 people we broke the story we pitched the story we beat it out there was a dry erase board. I'm gesturing like there's a dry erase board here. Um, uh, and that was... So then I had had a couple of two sort of polar opposite TV experiences. Interesting. Uh, let's go back, Carrie. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tell us about these freelance episodes that you did. <laughs> the early ones? I didn't do very many. I mean... Anything you want to talk about. Anything in that middle... Uh, the, <laughs> the middle things that I discussed where it was, you know, you had these credits on uh, Newhart and Growing Pains. Were these those freelance? Those were the first two jobs that mm-hmm. I... Yeah. The, and those came through an agent? Yes. And it was based on a it was, sample? It was based on a sample and going in and pitching stories. Okay. Yeah. So for each of those, you kind of went in, you, ta- you pitched to the showrunners. Yes, and I was I was the world's worst pitcher. I to this day don't know why I have ever gotten a job because I was so terrified of pitching. I was an extremely insecure person and I would literally like shake while I was pitching. It's you know, hard to it do. Was like I sometimes had to ask people to look somewhere else. <laughs> I have to say, I'm just going to chime in and say that when I first met Carrie, because Carrie has such an incredible, stellar re- resume and is such an, an amazing writer, an amazing person to work with, that I was like, well, tell me about the pitching. And Carrie would go, I just go in and sit down and read it. <laughs> and I was like, Never what? do that. No, I know. It is Never. a testament to her talent because she just yeah. knocks down the jobs I, one by I, I honestly, I'm I think kidding. pitching is personal to everybody, and yeah. I and I honestly think executives, for the most part, do have hearts, and if they know you're like suffering, <laughs> and if you say this will be a lot easier for me if I read it, they'll be they're fine with that, you know. But uh, you know, I I really do think it's in what's what you're bringing in, yeah. Besides most writers, 
are kind of lame. <laughs> no one here. No one here. You guys are great. Cool lame. <laughs> That's um, what we tell ourselves. So tell us how you then transitioned to staff. Were you on the staff? It was moonlighting. Mm-hmm. No, I wasn't. That was also that was a situation where um, it had just gotten picked up for the very first six episodes, so it was like no one knew what it was, and they didn't have a staff. They were just freelancing them. So I went and. Um, and it was honestly that meeting was like a scene out of a movie because it was like pouring rain and Glenn Karen was late and I was totally nervous and then he comes in like and Glenn is like a, a large man he's like a large presence um, and he just came in and sat down and he's like so what do you got <laughs> and we just and what you had read the pilot at this point I had seen the pilot you had seen the pilot yeah okay um, and we just hit it off we just I mean chemistry is also like a huge factor it's like you can be talented talented it's like being in the right place at the right time is is so true um and that happened to be my right place at the right time and so i did a freelance for him really liked it had me i did like six freelance scripts for him and then they put me on staff next year can you talk a little bit about uh the staff of that show because that's a notorious uh show Uh, that show was was and crazy. <laughs> I mean, you can swear. Well, there, there's, there's. We're adult content. Here. Oh, that's I don't true. want to swear. Send that kid out. My daughter's. She's reading. She's reading. She's not listening. But um, no, it was there was a lot of there was a, everyone on that staff was super talented and um, really nice people. But there was just a lot, it was kind of like there was just a lot of ego and testosterone in the air. How big was the writing staff at the I think time? It was six people. Okay. Yeah. Um, you were getting full like twenty-four episode seasons. Yeah, right? although we only delivered sixteen. There, seriously, yeah. this is this was the first show I worked on. I thought, oh, this is how you produce. You just call up the network and say, we don't have a show this week, <laughs> and they put on a rerun, and no one cares. You know, I remember when they because they were shooting around both leads too. Right? It was so insane. They were creating yes, one-off episodes about tertiary characters. Yes. Yeah, we did that every year to give them a, to give Bruce and Sybil a vacation because um, hiatus wasn't enough. What did what did you <laughs> and the She's still very close schedule. with both of them. Huh? <laughs> no, I really, I don't, I and they download the podcast. I was afraid of her, but I love Bruce. Um, so, what did you learn from that experience? What, did, what were you able to take into your next experience? Um, basically, what I learned from that experience is that I could do it. It's <laughs> valuable. That's what I learned. Yeah. Um, I learned how to sit in a room with smart people and break a story you know and and it's almost like it's almost like like uh, it's hard to like before I did it I didn't understand but there's like story it's like you kind of all get it when it's good and it's almost like a groove it's like hearing a groove in music and it's like oh you all get it and it's like that was that was a really unique experience so were stories broken together as a group very much yeah and then were they written individually or did you write them together too uh we broke them we broke them to the point of outline Mm -hmm. then they would be assigned okay yeah um it was a crazy show I i remember um when everyone had left because I was like the junior, junior, junior writer and there was like crazy shit on the set every day and um, everyone had gone and they're like oh if the set calls you deal with it (laughs) (laughs) and I was like 12 you know (laughs) I hid I hid hid until someone else came back (laughs) amazing oh boy 
Yeah. Uh, what was the show heavily rewritten by? Glenn? I would not say it was heavily rewritten, but he had a presence in every um, script, and something that he did that is really a rare talent is he rewrote judiciously, and he always made your work better. Mm, sure. So you never resented being rewritten. You're just like, oh wow, I wrote a good script. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's he, he absolutely was, valuable. Awesome. That's huge. Um, good. All right, we'll get to the next thing next. But uh, Peter, um, I'm curious about how Breaking Bad is broken. Uh, I'm a fan of the show. Yeah, we're all fans of the show, right? Oh. Um, and you were there. You were there from the beginning. That's that's true. Uh, so tell us that's about after the pilot. Yeah, so yeah. tell us about um, coming into that situation. What was already in existence as far as the showrunner uh, was sure. concerned and what he brought and what you sure. guys were able to bring? Sure. Well, um, the show is created and, you know, it's, it's Vince Gilligan's show, you know, from, from stem to stern in every way. Uh, and I had no idea what to expect, to be quite honest with you. I, I had been working... As a solo practitioner, you know, I was used to breaking things by myself, being the only writer in the room always, sometimes being the only writer in a room full of producers and executives, sometimes a director. You know uh, what, let me, let me stop you right here because I do have a question about sure. that. You did a bunch of these pilots and uh, movies and yeah. things on your own. Did you find it easy to break these things on your own? No. I think, you know, breaking a story is, is really difficult. It's really diff- it's difficult work. I mean, it's just it's it's difficult by yourself. It's difficult as a group. It's it's. Uh, I mean, to me that that is. And you're you're talking about the area, uh, the magical area of of story. I mean, I think there's um, at least for me in my pro- I'll talk about my process. My process is I, I, once I have a story that's broken to my satisfaction that I feel it's this is working. Then I know how long it's going to take me to write. I can I can figure out. Okay, by this day I'll be at this point. So, until that's done, I'm ang- full of anxiety, and I need to know what the end is. I need to, you yeah. know, I, I, you know, there's wait, where's it? Where's there a daybreak in here? How does it make sense that these characters are doing this? And I'm going through that now on something I'm breaking by myself, and it's it's a different, it's it's a different, it's a different thing. But I think the great thing about having done it by myself was it, I brought my own eccentric tools. Uh, to the room, you know, on on Breaking Bad, and, and Vince Vince comes out of really his formative experience was X Files, and uh, Chris Carter had his own very specific way of breaking, which Vince I think has adapted somewhat, and it involves not a whiteboard but three by five cards, yeah. and there's yeah. it's a very it's very and on the let's first, talk about that on the yeah. first day the first day of Breaking Bad, you know, there were there were four of us in in the uh, in the room at that point, and Vince um, he he came in. And you know, we talked about the show, and then he had brought in this this uh, cork board, and he put it up, and boy, there was act. There was the the uh, the break of of the first episode up to a point. It was it was pretty close, and he had he had you know this is uh, one oh one at Act One, Act Two, Act Three, Act Four. Here's the act outs, and he had written he has metic- meticulous handwriting. And Jenny Hutchinson may have talked about this uh, when I know she was here last week. Uh, he has he has fantastic. Hand- I want to get a font called Vince Gilligan Bold. 
he has fantastic. He's he's left-handed, which makes it, which I am also. But I'm a slob, and he he's perfect speller, and he's got and he writes these things, and it looks it looks like something that you'd hang, at, you know, really here at Meltdown Comics. Uh, and he brought it. He brought it in. He turned. We had talked about the show a little bit. He turned it around, and I went. I, I, you know, my stomach kind of dropped because I thought he's going to tell us bye bye, see you next week. Everybody, bring one of these in. Uh, so it's like, oh, okay, so okay, I can do that with the cards. All right, yeah. Uh, and then I realized, no, that that was um, that was something that we were going to do together. Uh, so that we, you know, the the process really was that we, you know, and it really hasn't changed uh, through the seasons, except with you know minor things. We, we you know we sit around and we talk about the show a lot for a few weeks, and we every time there's an idea that Vince likes, it goes up on some something, you know, whether it's a board or whatever it is. Uh, in the beginning, it was a little, t- you know, when we had our first season, we had a like a two episode order. I forget what it was. It was a very short. It was like it was like an eight episode order, and we only got to make six of them. So, um, uh, so we, you know, we had this little board and it full of post-it notes, and uh, uh, one of the other writers wrote on one of the post-it notes that Walt and Jesse have sex or something. And, and to, show you, to show you how closely Vince looked at this board, he didn't notice it until the end of the season. So uh, it was, you know, it's, it's really more of an aid for the memory than it is something that we consult that closely. And uh, we go through each, ep- you know, we'll talk about the whole season and we kind of come up with this, a bunch of stuff. And then we just go f- to the first episode. And really, the way this particular show works, it is so incredibly serialized. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with the idea of serialized versus... What is the other? What's the opposite of serialized? Um, episodic. Episodic. Well, fr- yeah, freestanding. Freestanding. Yeah. It's so incredibly serialized that the, when we kick off each episode, is completely based on what happened in the last episode or in the last few episodes. So when we started working on 101 and 102, it was all based on what happened in the pilot. And in the pilot, Vince and the cast really liked, I don't know if you guys are familiar with season one of Breaking Bad, they really liked the actor who played Crazy Eight. This is is an example of why, as a performer, you should be genial and well liked in addition in addition to in addition to being in addition to being talented they really liked this actor and Vince thought well what if he's not really dead and that was that was really the kickoff that was the kickoff for uh, for the first two episodes uh, so what if this guy who seemed to be dead in the pilot so really funny. wasn't that's hilarious and then Vince had and I think he was also you know he's trying to be economical and so you know what if what if a lot of it took place in Jesse's basement uh, and then the show started off very, very economical, and as the things do, it became bigger and bigger and bigger. But the, those first two episodes were so contained and focused, and that's that's really we, we go through each episode and work out every single beat in great. It's the opposite of your experience on Dead Like right. Me. It's every single episode, every beat, yeah. every scene yeah. is on a card, and. Uh, they're, they're written, the idea being that anybody in the room, theoretically, could go yeah. off and write that episode. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't work out that way. But it's, it feels yeah. that, it feels like everybody yeah. knows what the story is. You and understand it well enough to and, do it. And it's, it's so important, though, because not just for writing of that episode, because if you're working on episode three, mm-hmm. next thing you're going to break is episode four. So if something changes in three, it's going to change four enormously. So everybody has to really have it very clearly in mind. And we're always reminding each other, you know, and to, I mean, in Breaking Bad, it's, it's, 
insanely detailed, you know, like, did he leave the keys in the car? Is the door open or closed? Did somebody, you know, even, you know, spitball, oh, maybe he left the refrigerator door open. You know, it's a, that's a pitch. Um, so it's, uh, uh, you know, and it's very, very, it's very, very detailed. And uh, usually, you know, we try to break a story, and I'm curious to hear how this works on other shows. Uh, we try to break a story every two weeks. That's the goal. And usually, before production starts, we hit that. Then as soon as production starts, uh, writers leave the room, and Vince's, Vince's attention inevitably goes a little bit to production, and then it starts stretching out. And so if, you know, that's when we start, the rubber hits the road is when, when the episodes take a really long time to break. Because if we've broken an episode, we know that if we get in real trouble, like if, if, if our back's against the wall, yeah. we know that we can split it. We've done this a couple of times. We can split it up four ways and have it written in a few days. Right. But having it broken, because I think that the key to it really, to me, and this is what I hope to bring if I ever get the chance to run my own show, is that the story is really decided. There have been big decisions that have been made in breaking breaking the story. And we're not going to go and change those. And the advantage that we have on Breaking Bad, which is, I think, unusual, is that the network and the studio are very supportive and it's a very lightly noted show and always has been. So that, that makes a big, big difference for us. Um, just one quick follow-up, and it's the same... Does Vince uh, rewrite heavily, lightly? Does everything is everything filtered through him, or is the break enough? Uh, it really, I have to say, it really varies tremendously from episode to episode. I will, I'll, I'll, I'll say one thing: he, he, he always makes them better. They're always better. Uh, sometimes I've had episodes. I'll talk about myself. I've had episodes where he's he's rewritten a lot, mm-hmm. and then I've had episodes where he's it's been almost untouched. The episode that I realized this was really where I, I didn't realize at the time I was earning my spurs, but I did, which was season one, we were, uh, the writer's strike was looming. And none of us believed that there was going to be a writer's strike because Vince didn't believe there was going to be a writer's strike. And my episode was, uh, whatever it was, 106. It was my first episode of television and it had been broken. And uh, at the last minute, it, was, it took a long time to break. We were in Albuquerque breaking it, which we've never done before since. We were in Albuquerque breaking the episode, and then I, I went off and I wrote it. And uh, because of all the stuff that was going on, Vince didn't... I hope I'm not telling a story out of school. Uh, it, it wasn't read until very late in the process, right before the strike. And so I realize now that if I had really screwed up... We there wouldn't have been an episode 106 of Breaking Bad. Yeah. It would have ended. It would have ended. Well, actually, it would have been great because the the one before that was George Masters's fantastic episode. But uh, still, we'll say there would have been. It would have been a very short season, and um, you know, and and so he only had a few hours to do to do to work on it. And at the time, he called me up and said, "Thank you. I'm you know I'm so happy." I was like, "Oh, that's nice." That's, and now I realize, you know, he he, he meant it because uh, because you know there was another episode to shoot, uh, and there everybody, the whole crew would have had to go home if it hadn't been something that was shootable. So, and of course, that's partially because it was broken in such detail, and also because I was sweating bullets. I because yeah. I started reading the other scripts, and I went. This is a really well-written show. This is, this is good, and it was sort of like having you know, you're, you're tied to the tracks. If it had been, I kind of went into it. I knew it was a good pilot, and I, but I'll be honest with you, I didn't know how good the show was going to be. I thought it was good, uh, but I as we went on, I was like. I mean, I was blown away by season one. I was just like, "Oh my god, this is unbelievable! No one's gonna—they're gonna be." You know, and and, uh, and I, when it when it actually came out, I was you know, 
I was disappointed. And we got a lot of kudos, but I was like, they should. And every time I read a bad, I was the only one who read all the reviews. I, what the fuck is Nancy Franklin talking about? You know, so, uh, uh, you know, so it's, uh, so anyway, that's, that's, I don't know, I don't know where I went to there. That, that's very interesting. And I wonder in retrospect, um, if you're able to point to something different in your approach on the episodes that were more heavily rewritten? No. No, I mean, it's... It's, it's just know, what it is. It is what it is. I yeah. mean, because, uh, you know, I think it's part of our job. You know, it's collaboration. It's a very uh, mysterious process. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the... part of I feel a part of my job is... I don't know how to put this so it makes me sound good. Uh, part of my job, we can cut in, it out in the room. Like in the room, one of the reasons you pitch stuff, the one of the reasons you keep pitching stuff, is if you're close but you're not there. Yeah. Then, by hearing a pitch that's not quite right, it helps you know what the right pitch is. Yeah. So you know that, and, you know. So it's it's like you kind of keep the ball rolling, and so that's it's hard it's hard to say. And there have been, I have to say, in the last few scripts, I sometimes I'd be surprised he didn't rewrite some stuff. <laughs> but uh, you know, is uh, he's. You know, it's all about filtering it through his aesthetic. And, yeah. you know, you can say, oh, I know Vince, how Vince Gilligan – you don't know how Vince Gilligan thinks because he's – all right, I don't want to use that, that word. But he's, he's an unusual person with an ama- amazing, a unique view of the world and an amazing ability to, to convey things with showmanship. And he's, he's, he's the whole package. And what's more, this is yes. his show, yes, clearly. Exactly. I mean, this is an auteur. Exactly. Show. So, they, so you, know, you can get close and then you... Then you but, it's, but when you see something's rewritten, you definitely learn. Sure. I mean, I, you know, and uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I, for instance, the show, I would never on my own work before the show write the long dialogue scenes that are on the show. Mm-hmm. It's a very weird show. You know, I have a... I, it makes me really. I'm the last. I did an episode that's coming not tonight, but uh, next Sunday. I got to direct it too, and it ends with like it ends with the. I have all kinds of fun action and all kinds of great stuff to do, and then it ends in two scenes, which are like eight pages each of dialogue. Oh, wow. And I was like, ah, that's I got all this. And one of them, I, I don't want to give anything away, but one of them, you'll see. Neither one, if you watch the show, you'll see neither one of them has a lot of physical movement. For reasons that it's just impossible to do, so I'm like, as a director, I'm, I mean, oh what did the God. what did this freaking writer do to me? But uh, <laughs> but you know, that's that's I kind of think I, something I learned from Vince was how to uh, uh, sustain a scene for longer than I would have been able to before. So. All right, well, I can't believe how fast we're getting through this, but uh, I'll let you guys tag team this a little bit. But let's hear about Friday Night Lights. How did you each come to get involved? And tell us about the same thing, the process of breaking story in there uh, over the season and over the episodes. The process is actually remarkably similar to what he's describing. Yeah, yeah. We, we do it all as a room. We break it down into individual beats. Really meticulous. We'll read through it bunches of times out loud, you know, just to keep kind of fixing it. What are you, reading? What are you reading out loud? The cards. Mm-hmm. We pitch it to each other. You know, we'll pitch acts. So, so I we'll, told you we're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, it's for fun. Let's go through this. <laughs> no. um, yeah. the, the biggest mistake that I learned making is, is saying, why don't we speed through this? Because then there goes the rest of two days. <laughs> speed through. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty much very exactly. Similar. I mean, yeah. And Jason's, and that was that was something that I, yeah, we had had that whiteboard on on um, that other the yeah, the lawyer show, um, but. Uh, yeah, Jason's. Uh, Jason is very. Um, Jason Kadams, who was our showrunner, 
for uh, Friday Night Lights and also Parenthood, Creator Parenthood, um, has a really he's he's really interesting because he's not a big personality, but his opinions are big. So he is he has a great quietude and a great listening ability, and it it I think Carrie and I both got this really quickly. Not everybody gets it quickly. But Carrie and I got it, and a couple, and people who knew Jason is when he there's kind of no response. That thing's not going to fly. <laughs> but he never goes. That's bad. That stinks. Eh, I don't know. So it's a no. So people were talking. Oh, well, we're going to do that. And I would go, No, that was a no. That was a no. We're not going to do that. And when he likes something, he goes, That's fucking great. <laughs> and so you start pushing for the that's fucking great moments. Mm-hmm. And the other moments fall away. Was it a difficult target to hit? No. Was but it I, what? A difficult, a difficult target. target. Not, no. Not for, no. No, I've, I've, I started working with him on Boston Public. And um, I, I, the many people I've worked with, I just felt like um, well, it's such a shared sensibility yeah. with him. Yeah. We, we pretty simpatico. Um, I think his personality was a little hard for me to figure out initially because it, because he's elusive. He is. Yeah. He's a little. Oh, he's really so marvelous, but he's a little opaque sometimes. And and uh, it took me a little while to read, but then I realized, in maybe in the way that it sounds like Peter that you're describing, like oh, the, he really meant thank you. Uh-huh. Like I, you know, it was like a little private Sally Field, like oh, he likes me. He really likes yeah, exactly. Me. Yeah. Because my, our, our, you know, I, we won't. I, I would actually rather not talk terribly too much about the rewriting process because no. we're such good friends with uh, with everybody. But I, I, I would go, oh, I'm not rewritten a lot, and I would think, is it niceness? And then it was like, no, it's a shared sensibility. Mm-hmm. So. All right, let's go to you guys. Um, that does answer my question. Um, we're going to take questions from you. I'm going to walk over and get your question. Uh, please remember that questions usually begin with W or H, not with I. And please do not touch my microphone. <laughs> Who has a question? W or H. Yeah. That's good. Wherefore? Sorry, I can't go that far. I was wondering, as a writer, during your process, how do you deal with uh, self-criticism? That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, you never experienced that, though. Do you mean do you mean the kind where it's like healthy, or the kind where it's crippling? <laughs> Um, when you can't move <laughs> and you don't get anything written. And what um, do you do with that, though? How I, do you get out of that? I, you know, I think... I think deadlines. Deadlines help. I think, deadlines. I think what, what you were talking about, where sometimes you just take the... Um, this has to be so great out of your head. Yes. And just go, I just got to get something on paper and yep. I can always make it good. You know, it's like, I think people can kind of put themselves in a box trying to be so awesome um, and any, I mean, who, who wouldn't get nervous yeah, trying to do that? Don't you know? rewrite that first scene twelve times before you've rewritten before you've written scene two. Mm-hmm. Just but, keep going. Yeah, but I mean, self criticism can be really good for a writer too, though. Yeah. You know, so I'm not sure exactly what type of it you mean. The way I well, put it is, it's, it's really important to know what you're doing at any particular moment, what your goal is. You know, is your goal to and I really split it, and I, in my work, I, I, I'm doctrinaire about this, split it between creating and editing. Because mm. uh, if, if I'm 
if I start editing when I should be creating, then nothing. And I think this mm-hmm. is true in the writers' yeah, room a too. Waste of time. It's, it's yeah. yeah. Why really are you? Why advice. am I? Why am I critiquing something that's not even formed? It's not formed yet. yet. Yeah. yeah. You know, just going to. I don't want to interrupt because I'm interested in your self-criticism process. <laughs> but uh, I want to say um, it's funny. It, like in the room, you can go. There's a play. There's a time and a place where you go. We have to think big picture. We're going to think to the end of the thing. And somebody goes, I think she should be wearing a red dress. You're like, stop. Don't talk about the red dress. We need to talk about is there a lawsuit or not, you know. And mm-hmm. then, so that can work in a group setting as well as individually. Mm-hmm. But go back to your self-criticism. <laughs> no, I think that, you know, I really, I really believe, at least for myself, that, well, that the brain is really divided. It's a divided device and you've got different parts. Yeah. And you have to know which part you're using at any particular time. And if you're – to me the goal is uh, – you know, when you're starting a project, to generate as much material as yeah. possible. You know, and yeah. then and then you then you can then you can edit and, and place and and so on and so forth. And then you know, think about it, is it good? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's if you if you if you don't allow yourself to uh, generate without critic, you're not you. And I spent years on yeah. this. Uh, as did I. Yeah. So I, I, and, and then you never get anything done. And uh, that's why it is, and it is useful also, that's one of the reasons why having other people around uh, to talk to is really helpful, yeah. Yeah. because it, it, it's a different, it, again, it's, it's, a different, it's a different too. part of your brain. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely. I'm curious, on a, just on a practical level, uh, when you have a week or two weeks to write your draft, how many uh, drafts do you turn out in that time? One. one. <laughs> we usually have a week. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. we write yeah. really quickly. We... We do. Uh, we have two weeks, mm-hmm. and I will divide it up into days and hours uh, <laughs> because I'm very paranoid. I don't believe that my first draft is going to be any good. Mm-hmm. So what I will do is I will say, okay, if I have 14 days, which is two, because I'm going to work on the weekends. <laughs> you better believe it. Yeah. Uh, as soon as as soon as the story's broken, I'm like, okay, uh, because uh, I, I'm terrified it's going to suck. Uh, and I'm going to have to excuse me, and I'm going to have to rewrite it. So I I, uh, I will try to write it as quickly as I can. So I will basically, I've never told anybody this. I will uh, I will say okay, two days per act, mm-hmm. and then I'll be yeah. uh, two days per act, and one day for the teaser. So that's what eight days, eight days, mm-hmm. nine days, and then whatever other after that I'm rewriting. Mm-hmm. And so I'll take I'll take two days, and I'll just go through it while it's still on the computer screen, yeah. and then I'll print it out, and I'll go to a coffee shop and mark yeah. it up, and and I'll and I'll do that process over and over again until the moment I have to turn it in. Mm-hmm. In other words, if if it turns out, yeah, you had two weeks, but that's two weeks out of the room, and now I'm back in the room, but the draft isn't production doesn't need it for quite a while, and I know Vince doesn't need it yet because um, I'll talk to the writer's assistant and I'll figure out his schedule. Yeah. I'll take more time and I'll go over it again and again yeah. and again and again and again. Uh, and I'll keep getting ideas. Uh, and I'll say, oh, wait, what if they did this? And then also Breaking Bad, one of the things that's challenging is that the scripts are very unusually for how they're visually detailed, yeah. which takes a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, and I think of myself as a very visual person, but in fact, I have to say I probably spend, I don't know what your scripts look like, I probably spend at least 50% of my time writing things that no one is going to say out loud and rewriting it. And, and, uh, and that's because part of what I'm doing is channeling my, ver- not Vince's voice, but my version of Vince's voice. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm thinking about how you get in and out of scenes, if there are shots that are 
really going to reveal anything particular. And it's very rewarding when you get a director who really reads them and who 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 expands on what you're doing and makes it better instead of ignoring it. Mm. So, do you guys? How detailed are your scripts for Parenthood or for Friday Night Lights? As far as the things that are not necessarily said for Friday Night Lights, they were detailed. They're, yeah, they're detailed. I mean, I would have to say the the show I worked on that was the most visually detailed was Moonlighting. Those wow. scripts were super long because we we wrote every single shot. What you were seeing, really, really, yeah. There were like eighty-two page scripts. Wow. What? Yeah, and also because everyone talks so fast, yeah. you know. Oh my god. Yeah, but uh, so it's compared to that. Was that sort of was that a failsafe? Failsafe in what sense? So no one could fuck it up later. Sorry. No, it was the style of Glenn because okay. he's a director. So oh. we just yep. you know you you do the style of the showrunner. We get we in for Friday. It was fun for Friday Night Lights. We got um we started having shorthand. You know, like we hmm. like for a while it would be like uh, you know a long pan over a dusty field and the dust. <laughs> and then later that you know I, after season one we just go beauty shots. <laughs> beauty shots, Texas. Beauty shots. There's beauty shots. Old bar. Beauty shot. Barn falling down. Beauty shot. <laughs> uh, other questions. We have time for a couple more. Yes. Um, I'd like to know if there's a difference between the uh, Parenthood and the Friday Night Lights rooms, even though they were both run by Jason. And also just as far as how you plot stories, do they always come from character in those two shows or do they come from plot or both? Or did you realize, oh, I have to do something about this fam- this part of the family right now? Or this- yes. I'd just like to know more about how those both those shows are kind of laid out. Me too. Um, you want to start? I'll start. <laughs> um, well, when Carrie and I moved from Friday Night Lights to Parenthood, I never thought I would miss football so goddamn much. <laughs> I love, I thought I was tired of football after five years. I'm not tired of football. I wish we could play football in parenthood every week. <laughs> because that's an act. <laughs> and, and I miss it. So in that way, it is different. But that said, the football on Friday Night Lights always came from character. And we would never go, hey, who wins? We would go, what is Matt Saracen feeling during this time? And what's the struggle? And we would always go, why are we having this game? We would be excited they were going to have a game. And then we would go, what does this game mean? Right. Is Smash's, you know, uh, steroids going to you know, get in the way? What's gonna, what is going on with every player on the field and the people watching and what was happening in the stands and who was there late? So... Football was always the event, but we never were like, oh, it's a game and Westerby wins. We that we all would never uh, care. No, it always had to tell a little story on the field. Yes. We did sometimes, occasionally, know we had a win or lose a game, but then you had to do that process backwards. Right. That's right. No, that's right, because we knew yeah. we, whether or not we were going to, yeah. we would have ideas about whether we were going to get to state or quarterfinals, so we would go, we can't lose this game, so then how does the story fit into that? Um, so that's like, but so I, it's always character. So I would say, it, yeah. you know, especially just character, because Jason and Tatum's is such a, that's like what he does. Yeah. So it always comes from that. Like, wh- like in the beginning of the season, we'll just be like, okay, where is this person right now emotionally? Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. what, what's their art going to be? Yeah. You know, it all comes out of that. Yeah. Uh, is there a football in Parenthood, at least in as much as you've discovered it yet? No. There are no, tri- there are no tricks on Anybody has any ideas? I think Max Please is a discuss with me after the Big show. Big sales or. No, no, well, there, 
you know what? Well, I guess the football is sometimes we have, um, sometimes on Parenthood, we, 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 there are kind of excuses to get the family together because it's a very um, rosy, it's, we always think about it like it's an aspirational family. It's a family that loves being together, even when they're mad at each other. <laughs> um, so, and also those actors are all really wonderful, so getting them together is, is very pleasurable visually and it's, it's kind of stimulating. So like when we can think of excuses, like we did Thanksgiving episode last year and we went, they're going to play touch football. Football! <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're going to go to the park and play football and we were excited about that. Um, yeah. Do we have a football? But there's, there but there is isn't. a story engine. No. no. There's so no there's engine. There's a lot of um, There's a lot of talking. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sort of curious about this on Breaking Bad, too. Um, we heard last week about how you guys don't even write to act breaks. Uh, we do think about the act breaks. Okay. We do think about it a lot, actually. Um, so... Jenny was giving you she's giving you uh, she's a dis- disinformation a a she's giving you disinformation no uh, we, break, Breaking Bad is I, I, interestingly enough because there's so much action it is all about um, this guy Walter White and where where is the, the big questions always is where's Walt's head at and it's the slippery thing because that's really what ultimately what drives the show, what makes it different, what what we care about, and so it's it's a it's it, as the seasons have gone on, it becomes also mostly you know definitely where's Walt's head, and he's the trickiest character to figure out always, mm-hmm. and it takes all you know, and sometimes he surprises us, uh, or our take on him surprises us. And certainly, he's he's shocked me uh, tremendously. As well, the big for me the big break. Um, in the show was season one when uh, he, he, he had the opportunity to get money. I don't know if you guys remember this. He has his old friends mm-hmm. who are very rich and they offer to take care of everything. And I'm like, we can't have him turn. Wait, because to me it was a show about a guy who was out there who was, who was making money for, um, for his family. Just as I spoke about earlier, you can see my connection to the show. <laughs> uh, making money for his family. And uh, uh, if he if he turns the money down, then what? Wait, what, what? What's the show about? And then, but that was really that turned out to be to me the crystal. That's the moment when the show crystallized because it became a show about uh, a man's pride more than about you know Survivor. a lot of other things. Is, yeah. It became more about the multiple layers of the guy rather than just you know him as a chess piece doing this for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that was really and that really shocked me. I think it shocked all of us when he did that. Um, but there you go. You you learn about the character from there, from putting them in these situations. So yeah, that's. Uh, okay, we have time for I think one or two more. Yeah. Uh, it's mostly for Carrie, but you guys can answer on it too. How is like going from like growing pains to parenthood? It's been like a little bit of a gap in, in time. Like how is like the writers' room changed and the whole like kind of game of writing for television changed? And you guys can touch on that too with your respective. Uh, that's a really, that's a really good question. I, you know, I, for the amount of time I've been in the business, I haven't really worked on that many shows because in the eighties, there was this thing called development (laughs) that was really nice. Um, so I did a lot of that. Um, but I feel like it's still pretty much the same in terms of how a room runs. I mean, I think it's kind of, it is what it is. It's, um... Was that what you were asking about how his... Yeah, I think the way you get into the business has changed a great deal. Um, it all seems to be internal now um, that you, you know, writer's assistants and things like that, that you get promoted from within. 
um, that's changed a lot. But I feel like just like the chemistry of being in a room with other writers and working stuff, working out stories, is exactly the same. There's one more question over here. This is for Carrie and uh, and Bridget, but uh, for I can't the episode where mm. Becky's dealing with uh, the abortion. I wonder sort of how you deal with a sort of morally divisive situation like that in terms of abortion and what have you, but how you sort of approach something like that. Yeah. Mm. And Peter, you haven't dealt with any morally ambiguous... <laughs> so just be quiet. Yeah, just... It's all black and white in your world. <laughs> this is open to anyone. Um, well, it seems like the point of doing a story like that is to not have a judgment on it, yeah. you know, to just sort of tell it from the point of view of the people. I, I think yeah, <laughs> that's, no, that's, that's kind that's of. Right. That, that, I'm so happy you brought that up. I just, I love that episode so much. Um, it was one that we, we and I had wanted to do for years, literally. And I still kind of can't believe that it happened on network television. I kept on saying to Jason, and so quietly, and so quietly, so I went, quietly. I went, they're gonna, our advertisers gonna pull the thing. What's gonna happen? You know, because abortion is to this day being debated, and they're like, let's revisit Roe versus Wade. And I just, and I thought, I want. You know, we'd already done a couple of pregnancies on the show, like a teen pre- like and, and with a um, somewhat uncharacteristic rosy cast on them. And I was like, that is not the whole reality. And I was really determined to do But I was, but I also, so, so we did not want to vilify um, anyone. Anybody. Anyone. Anybody. Yeah. I thought there, there's nothing really that is simple. It, you know, abortion's not nothing. And so I have to, so I, I came at that, I the way that I came at writing that script to talk personally is that I had a memory of my mother talking to me when I was a teenager and I said to her when I was probably 14 or 15, what would you do if I got pregnant? I said, this, and I'm raised Catholic. And, um, my mom said to me, um, and she was, loves the Pope and is Catholic. And she said, I would probably tell you have an abortion. And I said, really? And she said, I know you and I, you, I know you'd want to keep it. And I don't think that'd be such a great idea. And I was all, I carried that with me for 20 years going, I, I love how complicated my mom was that she was able to kind of see outside of her own religious back. She was somebody who was not allowed to go to a wedding that wasn't Catholic when she was raised. And that she could, that her life had become complicated enough for her and for me that she could tell her daughter, maybe that's an option. I really wanted that to be on television. I think also what's so moving about that is that you, that you had a mom to tell you that. Yes. And, and what was so yes. heartbreaking in that story is that she had no one that cared enough about her to tell her that. You well, know? that we wanted to, like, take really you... Right, that, that there was a traditional kind of thing, too, like, like that we decided to try to, like, uh, turn on its head where we've all seen stories that are real, not to denigrate those stories, but they have been told about um, a girl who wants to get an abortion and a parent who says, you can't have an abortion, no way. There's yeah. no, no, no daughter of mine, and we thought it would be interesting to have a daughter go, have a mother go, well, you're having this, and not want to look at the struggle and difficulty that a 15-year-old would be facing. So, um, And it's, it's like no matter what, it's kind of a sad answer. No matter what, you know, it's like, that's that's right. a, it's not it's, like there's a happy answer to that no, particular question. To, so it's, yeah, it I, just, I feel really lucky that we worked on a show that we were able to kind of, so I, and I appreciate the question. Um, I just have one last question. Uh, what are you guys watching on TV? 
What are you watching? What's Breaking inspiring Bad. you? Yeah. I watch Breaking Bad. <laughs> Breaking Bad. Uh, what's the room talking about? Anything like that? And anyone who wants to jump Breaking in. Breaking Bad actually is huge. That's yeah. talked about in the room all yeah. the time. But I will also say, and this is uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> Which I have to say too. Offend by, and I, the other thing that's funny, it's not necessarily, I, I just want to go, go Game of Thrones because it's not necessarily my first um, I, genre that I'd be like, what are the swords and sandals doing? Um, but, uh, but and, and, I, and for a long time, I couldn't remember the name of it, so, uh, so my husband and I would just go, are you going to watch Ace of Base? <laughs> or we'd go, um, Crown of Thorns? Let's turn on Crown of Thorns. So like, we, just, we have like seven different names for it, but Game of Thrones is uh, mm-hmm. what's being, that, and that's talked about in the room a lot, too. Mm-hmm. How about you guys? Yeah, we, uh, Breaking Bad, we tend to talk about Whatever is on AMC, so we'll, we'll <laughs> so we'll you know we're we'll only talk, allowed to we'll watch talk, AMC. We'll talk about we'll no we no we <laughs> dissect dissect Mad Men and uh, Walking Dead and, uh, and yeah the Killing absolutely those are all those are all shows that we we talk we That's always funny. talk about a lot and, uh, Louis. and, and personally since, since yeah. It actually, the season's been the season it shows you how long we've been off the room for Breaking Bad because Game of Thrones came. Game of Thrones came out, I think, after Breaking Bad. We finished season four. Right. So I've been watching Game of Thrones, and I'm now almost, I'm half, almost halfway through book five. So, uh, yes, obviously, I, li- obviously nice. I like Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, check out Southland. You like it. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, let's give a round of applause, first of all, to our panelists. Bridget Carpenter, Carrie Aaron, and Peter Gould. Thanks to 826LA and everyone here at Nerdist Industries at Meltdown Comics. Good night. Now leaving Nerdist.com.